friends, I'm Kara Kay. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the Asking for a Friend podcast. Each week, we are navigating challenging questions you have about yourself, the church, and the world. But don't worry, we know you're only asking for a friend. Today, we are talking about adoption and answering the tough question, is adoption helpful or hurtful? So join us as we break free from the status quo and engage in conversations that matter. Hey, Kara Kay, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Good. So people don't know, but we're recording this pretty late at night and our kids are hopefully all in bed. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> we get a little delirious on tonight's podcast and everyone will understand why. That's right. <laughs> so talk to me about a little thing that is helping you get through the week. Okay, so this little thing actually kind of has hurt my week a little bit. Um, I've been having to take my kids all to get flu shots this week. Oh, I still need Ugh, to do It is like, I dread it every year because my kids just flip out. Like it's the worst thing yeah. to happen to them. And I had to take Kendrick yesterday because like, I, I just take them all separately. I We actually ended up going, all six of us went to the drugstore tonight and we were loud and people were staring and two of my girls were like screaming at the top of their lungs because they did not want to have their shots. And oh my gosh, I kept joking with them. I was like, yeah, the needle is like six inches long and it's about two inches wide and it's going to hurt really bad. I kept picking on them and they were like, mom, stop. So, oh, I just dread this every year, but I will say as much of an annoyance it is for me. I can't even imagine how these nurses go through this season with, especially at like pediatricians' offices when they are having to like hold down screaming children. So, yeah. and it's like shout outs. Yes. So, shout out to the nurses who are so brave and wonderful who make it not so bad for all yeah. of us and uh, provide suckers and things stickers. for everybody, stickers when they're done. I know. I'm dreading it. I haven't. I've gotten mine, but I haven't taken my kids yet. I'm a yeah. terrible mom. I only, have, I only have one kid left to take, so we're we're almost done. But what's going on with you this week? Okay, so I am a huge fan of This Is Us, and it always surprises me when I talk to people and they say they've never seen it. I, I'm like, who what? are you? Like, I know, exactly. What rock are you living under? What are you watching if you're not watching This Is Us? And I don't know if we can still be friends. But so recently on This Is Us, or at least this season, one of the storylines is this teen dad, Malik. Have you seen those episodes? Oh, yes. Oh, I'm yeah. all caught up. So you're not going to spoil anything for me. If um, if I'm spoiling anything, then I feel like that's that's your fault. Spoiler listener. alert. Just fast Y'all forward if you haven't watched. Caught up by now. Um, so there's this teen dad, Malik. And I was talking with a friend about it. And it's kind of one of those things where... It's such a complex situation. You know, his um, his girlfriend got pregnant. She didn't want the baby. She wanted to give up for, for adoption, but he and his parents wanted to keep the baby. So he is parenting this child, and he's 16 years old, and he lives with his parents, and he seems to be a fairly responsible kid. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> given Still everything. Still a 16-year-old kid, yeah. <laughs> He wants to go hang out with his friends and things, but it's one of those where he wants to date, you know, one of these daughters and, um, Randall and Beth are just like, no way we are not having this. And it's one of those where, yeah, I would be really leery of my daughter dating a teen dad, 
But at the same time, he did the responsible, honorable thing. And he's parenting this child and he works and he lives with his parents. So, oh, it's just, it is such a tough situation. It is. I agree, man. It's been hard to watch, but it is encouraging at the same time. I I love the way that Randall and Beth respond to things. You know, they are our favorites on the show. And Beth is for sure my favorite. Oh, yeah. It's funny. We were watching the episode um the episode where they met with um that boy's parents and yes. her having her meltdown in the pantry Brooke's yes. just looking at me cuz he's like um yep that's you oh oh and we've all been there we've all been there we weren't there when we were 16 most no. of us you yeah. know so oh it's oh that was a very cringeworthy scene as was mm-hmm. the episode before where he told Randall that he had a yes, child yes and he didn't know Oh my gosh, I'm literally like pulling the covers over my face as we're watching this because I cannot handle awkward situations. Uh-huh. And my husband's just like, you can watch like this isn't a horror movie. I'm like, no, I, I cannot it's handle it. It's so hard. I know. It's- and it makes you think, what would you do when your child's in that situation? Um, well, you have to practice like we call it our non-shocked face. So when we meet with like engaged couples and young married couples uh-huh. and sort of like, divulge all of their deepest darkest secrets and we sit there and we just pretend like oh it's that's no yeah totally normal. normal yeah we've heard it all before right yeah I think you just have to have that poker face yeah I'm not a very good poker face person so my husband always says I wear my emotions on my face and yeah. so I have to work hard at that yeah that's okay I love that so. all right well let's go ahead and dive into this week's conversation after we hear a word from our sponsor Do you feel exhausted, constantly rushing around, overwhelmed on a daily basis? Our friend Manda Carpenter wrote a 30-day devotional for women just like you. Whether you're in a season of being bored or insanely busy, Manda's devotional called Space takes you on a journey of living like Jesus did, fighting for your space and using it well. It's full of relatable stories and practical applications to help you transform your schedule and your quiet time. Listen, friends, I have admired Manda for a long time. Her devotional space, it's not just a book, it's a way of life. And this girl lives out the message of space as she consistently and genuinely invites women to create sustainable rhythms of work, play, and rest. Space is available on Amazon for just $12.99. So grab a copy for yourself and another to give your sister, your mom, your best friend, or even your child's teacher. And make 2020 the year for creating more space in your life. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Asking for a Friend. Today, we are chatting about adoption. It's National Adoption Month, and we want to take some time to highlight some of the big issues that come with adoption, some things you might not always hear about unless you are immersed in the adoption world. Kara Kay and I are both adoptive mamas, and while we can't speak to adoption as adoptees, we want to bring our own experiences as well as what we've learned through other people. Okay, so we'd like to start off by sharing just a little glimpse into our adoption stories, and I would like to note, this is for me personally, we may not go into deep detail about our stories. I believe that our adoption stories, um, it's not necessarily my story to share and my son is not to the age that he can really say 
yes or no that I have the ability to share. So I think that's just something important to note that a lot of times adoptive parents have to be really careful in sharing a story that isn't theirs to share. So just a little side note there. But Elizabeth, to get us started off, would you like to share just a little bit of your story with us? Sure. So mine is a little bit different from yours. We adopted through foster care. And I won't go back too far because I could I could go back way far to when we were first married and had no babies. But it, adoption had always been a part of the discussion between my husband and I. And when our older three kids were about two, four and six years old, I told him, I said, you know, I think I've caught my breath like I'm I'm not drowning anymore. I think I'm ready to have this adoption conversation again. And he said, I have not caught my breath. I am not ready for that conversation. So we, I said, that's fine. We tabled it. And you know, I, it's not something that I, um, just pined away for, or was stressed about because I was raising three little kids. So, you know, life went on. And then when the kids were four, six, and eight years old, my husband approached me and he said, you know, I think I've caught my breath now and I think we should have that conversation again. So we spent a long time, probably about three months praying about it. And to make a long story short, you know, um, just decided that yes, God was definitely calling us to adopt. And it was very clear. There's, you know, some other things that happened that were outside of just us and our family that we felt like, okay, God's really calling us to this. Um, a foster care was never on our radar, but we talked to some friends who have eight children. So they make my family look Ooh. small. Yeah. And Can't imagine that. <laughs> yeah. I, I really can. They're like super human. Yeah. But they had some biological, some they'd adopted internationally, and then some they had adopted through foster care. And so we talked to them and they said, uh, you know, Elizabeth, I really think that you are the type of person where you could take a child into your home and then you could let it go. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if that's really a compliment. Yeah. You're like, how do I take that? <laughs> like, I'm not a robot here, but um, I think, you know, I am very um, rational and mm-hmm. I'm not highly emotional. I'm a pretty critical thinker. So I could approach it from that standpoint. And this is what we told our kids when we decided to pursue foster care was we are going to love this child for as long as the Lord lets them stay in our care. And obviously we'll pray for them and love them even when they're gone. But we just know we might only have a certain amount of time. And I know people, probably the number one thing they kept saying to us was, aren't you worried that you'll have a child come into your home and you'll have to let them leave and and you'll have to give them up? And, And I said, well, sure. But none of our children belong to us. All of our children belong to God. And that was probably the number one thing my husband and I had to uh, wrap our brains around was that God could take any one of our children away from us at any given moment. I mean, tomorrow, one of my children could be taken away by some tragic accident or some illness. And um, I think once we realize that and accept that, we can have a looser grip on all of our kids, whether there are biological, our foster or our adopted kids. You know, we just have to really let go of that control and say, these kids belong to God, not to me. So once we were able to do that, we um, just started on the foster care journey, went to some information meetings, talked to friends who are foster parents and 
got all the uh, licenses and the home studies and all that stuff that you hear about. And it took us about six months and then we were fully licensed. And about seven weeks after that, um, we got a call for a nine week old baby girl. And we had gotten a lot of other calls in those seven weeks. And we'd said yes, we were because um, we were pretty open. Um, we had given an age range of zero to four. We said, you know, whatever gender, whatever race, like what, a, you know, we're pretty open. Every time they called us for a child, they were calling other people. So these ki kids kept going to other foster families. And so the day we got the call for who is now our daughter, Cece, um, you know, they said, we have this little nine week old baby girl. And um, so we said yes. And we opened up our home. They showed up on our doorstep an hour later after that phone call. And we had nothing for a baby. But our community was so gracious and supportive. I mean, within hours, we had tubs of baby clothes and diapers and wipes and formula and we had everything we needed. And um, yeah, so that kind of began our journey into adoption. From there, um, we fostered our little girl for uh, 19 months and adopted her. So she was not quite two when we adopted her. And then three months after we adopted her, we received a phone call that uh, her baby brother had been born. <laughs> so we had to make that decision. Okay, um, are we going to be a family of seven or are we okay here? Um, fortunately, we had already been praying about what if, you know, and so we didn't want to be caught off guard if we got that phone call. And we'd already had that conversation very prayerfully and come to the conclusion that if we got this phone call that sure we would um we would accept another placement as they call it in foster care we got a little boy two days old and that was our journey beginning with five kids and it was crazy and nuts and um it's been chaotic ever since <laughs> but we fostered him for about 17 months and then adopted him and so that's that is basically our story. Obviously, there's so much more to that, but right. that's the basic gist of it. And they are how old now? So now they are three and five. So yeah, fun. I know. They're, they're Most days they are really fun. <laughs> so, okay. I want to hear all about your story. Okay. So our story, oh, it was a long journey for us as well. Adoption was always something that had been on my heart. And I mean, before I was ever married. And it was just something that I was always really interested in. And I think it goes back to, and I, I never really nailed this down, but I think when I was growing up, my youth pastor then had adopted two kids from China. And so I, it was kind of my first experience with adoption. And I was really close with them. And I even babysat their kids when I was in high school and stuff. And so, and now they have they've adopted four from China and their kids are like two of them are in college now and <laughs> their kids are all grown up now. But so that was a long time ago, but I think that was what kind of spurred this in me. Um, and Brooke and I had had some conversations when we got married, but it was never, he was always kind of afraid of adoption on that side of, for one, we were just really uneducated, but that whole idea of, I couldn't have a kid in my home and then be taken away. Um, and I think that's just one of those huge obstacles that I think holds a lot of people back from adoption. And so our story is kind of funny because we and I had just decided I'm not going to push him on this. We have to be on the same page before we start in that journey. 
we were at a church leadership conference together. We had a three-week-old baby at the time. Our oldest now, who's almost 10, she was three weeks old, and we had her at this conference with us. She was, like, sitting next to us in her little baby carrier, and I was in and out of the conference, you know, because three-week-old baby, she had colic. She was, like, a nightmare. <laughs> That's a whole other story, though. But um, so I was in and out, and there was somebody talking about adoption in one of the main sessions. And I'm out in the lobby, like walking the baby and Brooke texts me and said, yeah, so I think we're supposed to adopt. (laughs) Oh, my word. And I was like, uh, right now, because no, I'm not not ready for that. Today? Yeah, I was like, no, 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 I'm exhausted. I'm not even recovered from the C-section I just had three weeks ago. Like, (laughs) tell a mom with a three-week-old, I think it's time to adopt. Uh, Yeah, so it was really funny. Um, But that really showed us, okay, this is really likely going to be the path for our family. And we started with international adoption. Um, As Jessie, our oldest, she got a little older, we started doing research and, you know, did some informational classes and things. And we started the adoption process through Ethiopia. But then when she was eight months old, we got pregnant again. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and then eight months later, got pregnant again. So we had those three babies back to back, just like your story. And so we were like, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. And once the girls were a little older and I felt a little more sane, we decided to really dive into the process. And at that time, we had been doing a lot of research about adoption. A lot of the countries we were looking at were closing adoptions. And so we realized there are so many kids here in our country that need homes. We would rather just do a domestic adoption. So we started down the path and we did a private domestic adoption. And so it's different than foster care for those of you that don't know all these terms. And we're going to kind of dive into the different terms of adoption briefly here in a second. But so we did, you know, all the paperwork, all the things, and we did a private domestic adoption. So um, we adopted our son, Kendrick. We met him when he was in the hospital, when he was one day old, and we brought him home when he was three days old, I believe. I always get that wrong. So he's been with us ever since. And we uh, legally adopted him when he was seven months old. And he's the greatest joy of our lives. So I mean, other than our other kids, we love all our kids. (laughs) But anybody who knows us or follows us on social media knows that Kendrick is a little fireball that everyone's obsessed with and after having three girls it's just such a joy to have a boy in our lives and so he's so much fun boys are just so sweet to their mamas yep let's go ahead and break down those adoption terms like you mentioned so that we can just all be on the same page here so international adoption would be adopting a child from a country that is not your home country domestic adoption is what you just described so it is adopting a child from your home country so here in the states it'd be adopting a child from the u.s and a lot of times those are the ones that you'll hear about that come from an adoption agency or work with a lawyer um so that's kind of the a little bit of the difference between foster care and a domestic private adoption. Right. Foster care. The children are actually in the state's custody. And my husband and I used to joke and say, we're really just glorified babysitters. I mean, (laughs) they really are um, a part of this, like the award of the state. And you are just 
committing to take care of them, like I said, for, for as long as God will let you, as long as the state will let you, as long as the judge will let you. And then sometimes uh, they are reunified with their parents. In fact, I just read a statistic today. It's, it's over 50%. The goal is to have these children reunified with their parents. Uh, some are adopted by family members and then some are adopted by foster parents, the ones that they're placed with. And some are adopted by different foster parents that they weren't placed with. So there's, there's so many different experiences when it comes to foster care. Okay, so let's shift this conversation and talk about this topic of is adoption hurtful or is it helpful? Um, so adoption, it comes with a lot of pain, trauma, separation, and really misunderstanding, I feel like. Um, so I read this article this month that was written by an adoptee that when she was asked what she was going to do to celebrate National Adoption Month, which is November, as she said this, I'm going to quote her because this stood out to me so much. She said, to me, this month feels like a wild party and losing something in the crowd. You try calling for help, asking others to join your search, but the music and the festivities drown out your voice. Your interruption is not only unwanted, it's unacknowledged. This party is not for you. That is so heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But it's also very eye-opening. It is. Yeah. I think it's really important for us to, through this, see that when it comes to adoption, we have to listen to the voices of adoptees. Yeah. Because as adoptive moms, which we both are, we can bring one experience, but we can never fully understand what it's like to be adopted unless you are an adoptee. Right. And I th- and we talked about this before the show, but people tend to romanticize adoption. Yes. Don't understand sometimes that it really is a response to something very heartbreaking and tragic that's happened. Yes. And I think we don't, we don't want to go there because then we have to acknowledge pain and we have to acknowledge um, sin and we have to acknowledge cultural issues that we're not comfortable with. And there's just so much that we like to avoid. We want everything to be shiny rainbows and unicorns Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just focus on this sweet child and we don't want to focus on anything else. Yeah. And I think also what you said about, um, you know, if we can look at it from the child's point of view, but also from the biological mom's point of view and and biological dad, but primarily the biological mom is most affected and just looking at it from her point of view, because it's something that is very tragic for her as well. Even if like in your case, she chose to place Kendrick with you, that's still very heartbreaking. Absolutely. And a lot she's always going to have to grieve. Yeah. So Nancy Verrier wrote in her book, the primal wound, understanding the adopted child. She said this, when the adoptee is separated from her birth mother, she undergoes extensive trauma. She will not remember this trauma, but it will stay in her subconscious as she lived it. I particularly appreciate this um, quote, as I'm sure you do, because Mm -hmm. I don't know, do people say this to you, but people always say, well, how old were your kids when they came to you? And I'll say, you know, nine weeks and two days. And they're like, oh, that's good. They were babies then. They they won't have all those issues that other kids have or they won't have much baggage. And, you know, it's just, um, I just smile and, Mm -hmm. you know. Sometimes I just carry on and move on. Or sometimes I try to educate them that, you know, even babies two days old are going to come with some trauma Absolutely, because they separated from the woman who carried them for nine months. Yeah. They're not hearing her voice anymore. They're not feeling 
the warmth of her anymore. And so it's just this huge separation, even as an infant, that children go through. And like you said, I think people always think that trauma is something that comes with older children when they can understand what's happening. But right. it's not the case at all. When my daughter that we adopted, um, when she was very young, she was in occupational therapy and I, and she was a very quiet toddler, very quiet. And she, you know, didn't talk until she was like two and a half. And, and even then it was just very few words. But I remember her therapist saying, is she always this quiet? And I said, yes, like she doesn't babble. She doesn't, um, she doesn't try to talk, you know, she's very, just very timid and quiet. And she said, well, a lot of times children who are adopted as babies are very quiet because they've spent so much time in their, you know, nine months in their mom's womb. They've heard their mother's voice, but they've heard everyone she is in community with her, you know, her relatives she lives with or her friends or whatever. And so now they come into this new family unit and it takes them a while to process all of these new voices. So they're very quiet and just trying to, um, adapt to, you know, new surroundings, but new people. And I never thought of that. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting perspective. That is. Okay. So how do you think that we can help our adoptive children walk through this trauma in a healthy way? I know you mentioned occupational therapy. Um, and I think that's a great thing to have somebody and have an outlet that can help them. Um, what are some other things that you think can really help with the trauma? I think it obviously depends on age. Um, you know, like I said, we've adopted both or we had both of our children in our home when they were babies, but we're starting to see things come out as they get older. And so I think you have to address things as they come up, but also always having it on your mind and, and thinking, you know, trying to be one step ahead of them as far as trauma goes and, and, and looking at behaviors, not as disobedient, but as, you know what, maybe this is a response to trauma that they experienced at the beginning of their life or in the womb. So I think just looking at it from their perspective and then how you talk to them is obviously going to depend on their ages. You know, my kids are three and five, so we're just having basic conversations about um, foster care and adoption, and they definitely do not understand yet. But the more we have these conversations, the more they will, and the more it will just become part of their language and not some big bomb that we drop on them when they're 15 years old. You know, it's just, it's going to be a part of the fabric of who they are, that they were in our care and then we adopted them. And um, as far as talking to them about the trauma specifically, I would just say, you know, kind of let your child lead out. Again, every child's different. It's going to depend on their age, uh, looking at their behaviors from their point of view and sort of asking yourself, are they being disobedient or could this be a response to some trauma that happened earlier in their life? Yeah, I think that's really smart what you said about having those open conversations because, I mean, and I've seen now our situations are different where your kids look like the rest of your family. I they have do. seen those situations where it's like, and you know, we've seen that in movies and things. Like I remember that episode of Friends where um, Monica and Chandler were considering adoption. They went and sat with an adoptive family just to kind of have some conversations and get their perspective. And their son was like 10 and they spilled the beans that, you know, Chandler, Chandler ruined it and told yes. the kid he was adopted. Yes, I still remember that. And I mean, while that was like a yeah. funny thing, it was like, this actually happens that people don't yeah. even tell their kids that they're adopted. Yeah. I feel like your adoptive kids look like your biological kids. So oh, it's yeah. like, crazy like it is crazy but our son that's adopted 
looks nothing like the rest of us. Clearly, if anyone so, on social media, they know. Yes, exactly. So it's a different situation where we can't hide that he's adopted. He already gets that, that he looks different. And right now he thinks it's the greatest thing. He loves that. And which we always try to empower him that way. But I think having these open conversations with our kids, even if they're, if they're young, having those open conversations about adoptions so that when they're ready to unpack some of the trauma they've been through, they'll know, well, we can talk openly about this because my parents aren't trying to hide anything. Um, so I think that's really healthy. Yeah. During this month and really, you know, all the time, um, I feel like I see these viral videos pop up on social media about adoptions. You know, at first you think, oh my gosh, it's so sweet. Look at this, this adoptive family. And, but then when I see adoptees comment on these videos, it's almost always really problematic. So I want to unpack this a little bit because I think for us as adoptive moms, you know, we have a tendency to say, oh, we love adoption. It's, and, you know, we even fall into the romanticizing it ourselves if we're not careful. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Just because it's like, oh, I'm so grateful that adoption brought this child to me. Um, And so I think it's a hard balance that we find between celebrating adoption and also recognizing the pain that comes with it. Um, And so this, I think, is where we have to really listen to adult adoptees who have been through it, have walked out their trauma, and are able then to share their stories so that we can better parent our adoptive kids. Yeah. Um, So I'd like to share this um, example with you. I have a friend, her name is Stephanie Tate, and she is an adoptee. She's an adult, and she's been through a lot of adoption trauma, and she talks really openly about this online. And so anytime there's things going on, I I have a tendency to go and listen to her voice because she always has really important things to say. And I reached out to her before this episode and said, hey, if you could share something with our audience when we're recording about adoption what would you say so i'm just going to read you guys what she said so you can hear her response hear her voice um and better hear from an adoptee because we can only bring the perspective of adoptive parents um and i'd love for you to hear this so she said this if i could only tell your audience one thing and she did comment she said i could tell a whole myriad of things but this is what she (laughs) nailed it down to okay Um, that it would be adoption trauma doesn't always look like trauma from the outside. Many of the traits that people point to as evidence that someone is well-adjusted or examples they hold up of an adoptee who's thriving and wasn't affected by all that trauma stuff. Those qualities are often direct products of trauma. That was really stood out to me when I read that. When she was younger, she said that people always said things like this about her, that she was bright, articulate, mature for her age, a high achiever. She was affectionate. She was loving and sweet. They would have considered her one of those heartwarming examples of a good adoption story of how two good, loving Christian parents clearly made up for all the harm that she experienced in the first three years of her life. But in reality, each and every one of those qualities that she portrayed was a response of her trauma. It was a survival mechanism. She said, I was desperately trying to prove I was worthy of love and to keep people from leaving me the way that I felt I had been left by her mom. 
for her, she said this, when people share videos, like the one the ones I mentioned, of viral videos, um, and she specifically talked about a video that recently went viral about a little girl who was really articulate for her age. She was a tiny little girl, and she was just gushing affectionately about how her heart fell in love with her adoptive mom. Um, when she sees that, she doesn't see a heartwarming example that love conquers all. She sees a response of trauma, like a survival mechanism. Yeah. She said, I see a scared little girl who's learned to perform her worthiness and who's learning from our responses that this is exactly what we need her to say. Now, she says that we need to change the narratives around adoption and remind ourselves that adoption always entails trauma, no matter how it looks from the outside. This is why it's pivotal to center adoptee voices in these conversations, rather than secondhand stories of how our adoptive loved ones appear to be doing from an outside perspective. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot. It is. But I think it's so important to hear this and exactly what she said about we have to center adoptee voices. Yeah. Because we we put these narratives into our kids, our adoptive kids, our biological kids, that everything's great. And, you know, they hear from other people. This is the thing that I think drives me absolutely crazy when people say, he is so lucky to be in your family. Does that drive you nuts when people say that? Yeah. You just cringe. Yes, It's it's so awkward. And again, I think people mean well, but they're not not truly thinking about the words they're saying. So I think that's why these conversations are important, you know, just to hear the truth behind adoption. And like Stephanie said, adoption always entails trauma. Yeah. So what do you think are some ways that we can uplift adoptees and their voices in a way that is helpful, but not hurtful. Yeah. So I think what you're doing right now, which is um, not only listening to them, but asking them, you know, I, I think most people have probably never asked adoptees how they felt about being adopted or their biological parents or their adoptive parents. And so not even asking then probably makes that drive to perform even worse. You know, like there's a certain way I'm supposed to act and I can't deviate from that because then I'll disappoint people or I won't be worthy. And so just asking them to hear their story and then listening. And like you were saying, not trying to get the story that we want to fit our narrative, but really listening to them. Um, And then, you know, something that I took away from that story was, or not even story, those are her words, but Um, you know, I think she said people saw her parents as, and I'm not saying this verbatim, but people saw her parents as, you know, the great Christian adoptive family that made up for what she lost. Mm-hmm. And we can never make up for what our adoptive children have lost. Right. Never. Um, they've lost a part of their DNA. We can't possibly make up for that. Mm-hmm. Well, what we can do is walk alongside them and, try to help them understand where they came from. Um, however that looks for, you know, it's so different for different families. Some families have interaction and a relationship with the biological parents. Some don't, some do letters, some do pictures, but I think any way you can help them understand where they came from will be helpful because like that first quote we read about how that loss and that trauma is seared into their subconscious. Um, and it's because they, they've truly lost a part of their DNA. Um, in your case, it's visible, but in our case, it's just as problematic, you know, that they don't have 
um, part of their their blood relatives with them and part of that history. So I think just walking alongside them, helping them uh, to discover who they are and where they came from um, and honoring their biological families. Yes. I think that's a huge thing. I think so many times it's, it's just easy for us to not mention them, not go there because it it's just easier on us as the adoptive parents. Cause that's yeah scary it's hurtful it's hard and we don't want to go into the hard stuff right but it's so important for us to talk about them and and give them the stories that we know even if we don't know much just give them what we know and because i know plenty of adoptive parents who never met the child's parents never had conversations with them nothing and they don't have a lot to give but just being able to share something of where they come from because us keeping quiet and not helping is very hurtful, I think. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, what do you think about the term gotcha day? I'm not a big fan. <laughs> and honestly, because it's something I've learned from adoptees that they don't yeah. like that term. And, yeah. you know, I always thought, oh, that's so cute. That's so nice. But then when I heard adoptees talking about it and how they don't like that, I was, I realized, oh, wow. Okay. You know, we have a day that our son was legally adopted into our family because we brought him home when he was a newborn from the hospital. So it's not like we had a gotcha day like that where he was, you know, three years old. And so it was kind of just a natural thing, but he has an adoption day. And I remember when we adopted him, so many people were like, oh, happy gotcha day and made this big deal. And I... I was like, no, no. And we don't even really celebrate his adoption day. We, you know, sometimes we'll go to dinner and just say, this is cool. This is the day that Kendrick became a James and he was officially part of our family, but not making a big deal out of it. Um, What about you? So in the foster community, it's a little confusing because it's like, well, is your gotcha day the day your child came into your home or is your gotcha day your adoption day? Or do you celebrate both of those things? Right. I mean, it's very confusing and different foster families do it different ways. So I used to have this banner that said, happy gotcha day. And I would take their picture on their gotcha day. And okay. then I read an article from an adoptee mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. said how hurtful that term was. Because while adoptive parents and foster parents view it as a happy day, they do not. they do not view it as a happy day. It's a very tragic day. And ever since I've read that article, I have not taken that banner. Um, I probably just need to put it in the trash, but (laughs) and I, and I don't like that word now makes me cringe because I see, you know, you're sitting there celebrating like, Hey, I gotcha. And they're thinking, but my mom just lost so much. Yeah. And it's, Oh, it just makes me ache when I, when I read that article. Um, so yeah, we don't do that anymore. And we're like you on adoption day. Honestly, we're just so busy with soccer. Like we don't have time for a big celebration, but we'll usually do, like you said, we'll either go to dinner or maybe I'll pick up, you know, the mini cupcakes from the grocery store and we'll just like acknowledge it because we do want them to know, Hey, this was the day you became a part of our family. But on their actual gotcha day, we just tell them this was the day that you came to our family or this was the day that God brought you to our family. And I think it's a good day that you can honor their birth family. Yeah. And, you know, like we were talking about sharing stories and that sort of thing, because that's a great opportunity to say, here's here's a little bit of where you came from. And 
I have a little box of things that I've saved for Kendrick mm-hmm. for when, I mean, he's almost four. He doesn't really get all of that yet, right. but I have some stuff that I've saved for him. And, you know, maybe every year at that time, we pull the stuff out and say, this was the special thing your birth mom bought for you. And, you know, those kind of things that we can honor them and not make it a celebration, but just a day to honor where they came from. Yeah. I've done something similar. I've created, it's called a life book. I don't Uh know. That's um, cool. Yeah. I don't know if you've done that, but you've got the box of stuff. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) And just created a life book and it basically covered from the time she was born until the day we adopted her. Oh, that's so neat. And so I have pictures of her biological parents. Mm-hmm. Um, she, has, she has some siblings, some half siblings. And so I have pictures of them in there. And we take that book out. She loves it. We take oh, it out yeah, sure. more than I would like to. Like, <laughs> I don't have time for this. Like, Please don't tear this up too. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, one of the pages is already bent. But she loves that book so much. But I just think it's so awesome that she wants to look at it. And it's always going to be something we can go back to and just, again, um, just stirring up that conversation with her. We have three listener questions that we're going to dive into just to help answer some questions that you guys have about adoption. So the first question was, how can non-adoptive families help adoptive families? What do you think about this? I would say treat them just like any other family who has a baby or brings a new family member into their home. You know, what do they need? They need meals. They need, um, maybe someone to mow their lawn, someone to go run an errand for them. They need childcare. They need someone to say, Hey, I'm going to take your kids this afternoon for a play date. You know, just everything that, that people who've just had a baby need. Yeah. And I would also say, if you have questions, that's great. Go ask the parents questions. Don't ask weird questions in front of the child that might make them feel isolated. I mean, especially if they're older and they can understand. But I think a lot of times we say things in front of these kids that plant a seed in them yeah, and makes them struggle even more, might bring some of that trauma to the surface. So if you have questions, talk to the parents in private about that, but just be careful around the adoptive kids of what you say. Um, Because you have no idea what they've gone through. And watch what you say in front of the bio kids. Yes. You know, my kids were a little bit older when we brought in our foster kids. So they understood everything when people would want to have conversations with me. Sometimes I was like, oh, uh, you need to go play in the other room. Right, right. Okay, so speaking of bio kids, this is a question that I get all the time. How did you explain adoption to your biological kids? How did you guys do that? Well, ours was more explaining foster care. Um, And like I said, we just told them we are going to love this child for as long as God lets us. And then, um, you know, they knew there was always that chance that our kids could go to their biological parents or to a family member, which was really, um, that's really common in foster care. Mm -hmm. So that was a possibility. Uh, We didn't share a lot of the ups and downs of our journey in foster care. There are a lot of touch and go moments. Uh, We didn't share that with them because we didn't want to worry them unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, when it became uh, a realization that we were going to adopt, you know, we let them know that. And, um, you know, we just said adoption means that they're going to live with our family forever and ever. Yeah. What about y'all? Yeah. Cause our kids were three, five and six when we adopted. And so 
they walked through this process with us and we just explained what all of it meant. We had some friends that had adopted. So they were, you know, one of my daughter's best friends was adopted. So they had kind of been around it and we were just really open and honest with them of what it looks like. And they even went to the hospital with us when Kendrick was born and met his birth family. And so it was It was great to bring them into the mix of everything. And we just answered all their questions and made it really open for them. Okay, um, last question. What if you feel the urge to adopt, but you know it's not time yet? What do you think about that? Well, I think you and I both experienced that. We, Mm -hmm. you know, have had conversations with our husbands, but biological children came much quicker than we had anticipated. Um, And then even, like I said, when I was ready, when they were two, four, and six, my husband wasn't. And... I had to be okay with that. I remember our first training, someone said, make sure you and your husband are on the same page because when things get difficult, you need a soft place to land (laughs) and you need to be able to say, we decided this together. Yeah. So I think that was probably the number one thing I took away from that training. Um, and, and I always tell people that, that if one of you is ready and the other one's not, then you're both not ready. I agree. Yeah. That's the best advice that I can give to another family as well is make sure you and your spouse are on the same page because you have to be when you're walking through something that is so trying on your family. The sad reality is there will always be children who need a home mm-hmm. always. in two years in five years in 10 years, however long it takes for you to get there. There will still be children who need you. Right. Okay, guys, this has been such a challenging but wonderful conversation so elizabeth thank you so much for sharing so openly your heart and your story today yeah you too i love hearing about baby kendrick yeah (laughs) have you ever considered starting your own business but realized the millions of reasons why it would be too difficult and you've just given up Or are you a small business owner who just needs a little extra push? Enter our friend, Retha Nicole. She is a life and business coach helping businesses go to the next level. Now, maybe you're thinking, what in the world can coaching do for my business? So I'm going to give you five things that Retha does to help you go to the next level. Number one, she gives you a clear path to move your business forward. She also transforms your visions into goals. Don't we all need that? She will help you implement a strategic plan to grow your business successfully. Also, she gives you a personalized marketing strategy to help boost your lead generation efforts. And finally, you will have a dependable accountability partner to help keep you on track with your goals. Now, I don't know if you're like me and you feel like you're a squirrel running around chasing the next new shiny marketing idea, you probably need someone like Retha Nicole to swoop in and save the day with your business. You can contact Retha Nicole at RethaNicole.com today for a free consultation to see if she's a great fit for your business, which I'm pretty sure she will be. So contact her at RethaNicole.com to start making your dreams and goals a reality. Okay, guys, we always wrap up our episodes here by talking about resources that are helping us rethink the world around you. So Elizabeth, is there something you are watching, reading, listening to that's helping you rethink the way you look at the world? Yes. So I actually read this book a few months ago, but it has to do with adoption. So I thought I would share it. I hope you're not sharing the same book that I am sharing. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, You go first. Okay. It's called Before We Were Yours by Lisa Winter. 
Okay, we're good. Yep. Um, so it is a historical fiction, but it's based on a true story about a woman who ran an orphanage and basically had people go kidnap children for her. She would put them in the orphanage and then sell them for profit. Um, yes, completely true story. It's it's based on this particular woman and her orphanage. Uh, so tragic because they preyed on very poor people. Yes. Uh, who? And this is so common. Yeah. Yeah. Even today it is. Yeah. Happens yeah. all the time. So it was, oh, it was just very difficult to read, but so good. And Lisa Wingate's a great writer. So it, I read it really fast and it's just, it's a really engaging story. I highly recommend it. Okay. So what's your resource? Okay. Week? So mine is also a book and it is called All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. And it is, it's a memoir of her life. She was an adoptee. And okay. so it's her story of some of the trauma she dealt with and she wanted to know about where she came from and her parents were not open with her at all. Her family didn't put any type of cultural training or education in her life. She didn't know anything really. And she had nobody around her that looked like her. And that was really hard for her growing up. And she talks about being, you know, a really young child in elementary school and how challenging that was. And then growing up and you know, she finally connects with her birth family, her siblings, and it's just a beautiful story that's, you know, such a challenge for parents to listen to. Okay, guys, well, we we always love to hear resources that are helping you rethink the world around you too. So we'd love for you to share your resources with us this week over on social media. Thanks for listening today as we chatted about adoption and answered the question, is adoption helpful or hurtful? We hope this conversation helps you rethink the way you view adoption and can better understand adoption in our culture. Make sure you join us next week as we start a three-part series and answer the question, should women serve in the church? And don't forget to go leave a review for the podcast over on iTunes. This just helps people find the show and join in these conversations with us. Also, we would love to connect with you on Facebook and Instagram. We are at The Asking Pod. Each week we post new questions and things that we're discussing on the podcast, and we always want to hear your input. You can also connect with each of us on Instagram. I am at karak.james, and Elizabeth is at elizabethoats underscore. And finally, keep asking questions for a friend.